Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is live, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 146. Today my guest is the one and only Delaney Howe. How are you? I'm good, Casey. How are you? I'm doing well. Well, Delaney, I was uh, glad we could get this put together here. I was, I'm on my way to uh, the Dealer Mind Summit uh, over in Peoria, and I'm passing through the great state of Iowa, and I thought, oh, hey, yeah. i got to stop and see Delaney and see how <laughs> she's doing. So, You know, actually, I think this is the first time I've met you in person, too, now that I'm thinking about it. it. I think you're right. Now I that, mean, we yeah. talk on the phone, we text, and obviously interact mm-hmm. on the podcast, but first time face-to-face. Yeah, so that's cool to put a yeah, I actually put a face. Absolutely. Within, You're a lot taller in person than I expected. <laughs> well, thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> All right. So you are a, a woman amongst town here. So you mm-hmm. just got back from Washington, D.C., making your your political tour out there, yes. interviewing folks and what have you. So what's going on in Washington, and, and uh, what's the... Uh, What's the sentiment, I guess, on these trade talks that we're having with about every country on the planet? Well, so last week I kicked off my week by having an interview with Secretary Perdue. And, you know, of course, I've got to push him and ask about trade, where we're Mm -hmm. sitting with those U.S.-China trade talks. He said we're at a a stalemate right now with China. It looked like President Trump uh, tweeted out some stuff on Friday, basically telling China that they're taking advantage of being labeled a developing country by the WTO. So that's great that he did that here right before Steve Mnuchin and Robert Lighthizer headed to Shanghai, which they're there on Monday, Tuesday, and I think they come back Wednesday to start trade talks with Japan, and it seems like Japan is really the bright spot right now for trade talks. So that's kind of on the trade front. Then on like a producer level, we, of course, saw the market facilitation payment program finally released the details last week, end of last week. So today's actually the first day, Monday, July 29th, is the first day that producers can sign up for those payments, which... When you do the math, they're not, I mean, they range anywhere from $15 to 150 but if you look at those counties that are getting $150, a lot of them are in the southeast. It's a lot of cotton producers, yeah. not a lot of corn, bean, wheat producers. So if you do the math, if $1.65, let's use from last year's program for those soybean acres, and you do a 55 average yield you'd be getting about $90 per acre. And I looked through a lot of those programs from this year. A lot of counties are getting, on average, I would say, like the traditional Corn Belt states are getting $70 to $90. So Mm -hmm. not quite as much as we saw last year in trade payments, but it's nice to kind of see that finally released. Yeah. Now, I know there's a lot of uh, angst about that. I mean, it's not necessarily clear about Mm -hmm. what was going to happen and and the number of payments you were going to get. You know, you're getting one for sure, but you don't know for sure how many more you're going to get. And there's just a lot of stuff around that. So it's good to hear that there's some level of clarity being added to that now. Yeah, I don't really know how they calculated those numbers still. That's uh, yet to be seen, but they said they will release that information later on. Yeah, yep. So a lot of stuff on that front. It sounds like there is a, uh, you know, the... uh, USMCA. There's mm-hmm. some issues there with yeah. just getting through Congress and, and some ratifications there, but sounds like it's on a, a pretty good path to being uh, ratified. I finally. hope it really. I really hope it gets passed before the end of 
this year's session. They were really hoping to have it done by September, but now Congress is on recess for a little while, so it's yet to be seen, I think, if that'll happen or not. Yeah. Yep. So as you look across the landscape now and you and you see the things that are going on, what are some of the stuff that you see hanging out there that, that you have maybe some concern about or, or maybe you're looking towards the end of the year of some different situations that might pop up? Well, I mean, I think the crop year, really, we still don't know right. how much crop we have in the ground. If you look at it from a market standpoint, we had just Market Monday on, we always do Market Monday on the podcast on Mondays, Mm -hmm. talking about how both wheat and corn markets are starting to finish up this head and shoulders formation. From there, do we head lower? Do we head lower? Do we head higher? Do we stay in this range? I mean, the August 12th WASD report is supposedly this big report we're going to trade, but that's still not for another two weeks. Right. And uh, as some analysts were just talking to us and telling us, you know, it's like that's a long time to just kind of sit here and wait and see. And not only that, but it's like some people trade the reports, some people don't. Do the markets really care anymore? Mm -hmm. I think it's, I mean, it really isn't going to be until like October when we see exactly what we have and what condition this crop is in. Yeah, that's that's the thing I think that has so many people up there. This is also... A weird year too, because of the of the divide amongst traders. You know, mm-hmm. there are some that are we're going to have the same trend line yield we've always had, maybe off, maybe a bushel two, a bushel or two, so it's not that big of a deal. Um, then there's some that we're going to be 150 or less, and they're going to be early, late. They're going to be early. <clears throat> excuse me, early frost, and there's just such a divide. What you see happening, and you know, I've watched the market here the last two weeks, and we've been to. We've been at $4.50 in December corn, I think, twice now. And we've lost all of it back to where we're at now, down in that 420 range. Mm-hmm. And we're about the point where it always takes back off and goes back up, which would kind of coincide with that with that August report. So, I don't know, it's a tough one. I, and I'm I'm kind of, you know, I've got the, the analysts on that I have on my podcast. They talk about the same thing. And, and some, a lot of, you know, Angie even talked about it when we talked about the other day that, even if the market, the August report does come out, it may or may not have any effect on what we do at all because of the amount of carryout we have and, and the, the, the lack of exports we have with the amount that, that South America, Brazil oh, yeah. especially, is pumping out. I mean, so 1993 and 1995 have been these years that a lot of folks have been comparing back to <laughs> because those are years that we had kind of weird weather formation patterns. But the thing is, those two years, I mean, you think back to 93, 95, we weren't competing as much as we are now with South America, with Russia, with Ukraine, even parts of Europe. We're seeing technology advance in all of those places. We're seeing the crop advance in all of those places. So we might have a shortage here in the United States, but globally, those countries are still chugging right along. Yeah, I mean, genetics, I, I've said this before on here that, you know, seed companies and their need to grow market share taught the rest of the world how to farm. Oh, yeah. And so they've spread those genetics that you see here. They're testing those in all the places everywhere. You know, they're testing that stuff in in, um, in Brazil. They're testing that stuff in in Ukraine. You know, if, you take, if you look at Ukraine and Russia and the growing parts of those areas, it's very much on the same same longitude and latitude, mm-hmm. kind of the parallels that we see here in the U.S., um, kind of the northern, like Nebraska north, kind of what you see. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're pumping out the same stuff over there, trying to get the same thing accomplished. So... I don't know. I think there's a uh, there's going to be a a time when 
the weather is going to drive the market more so than, than, than what we see there. Sean Hackett talks about that a lot, you know, uh, what he sees happening with the weather coming forward. So um, it's going to be a crazy year. I think we won't know much until we get to the end of, until we get to the end of uh, October, you know, what I it I think like. it's going to be interesting too because as you see the technology to advance with genetics especially, I mean, we definitely have the genetics out there now for drought resistance, oh, yeah. but the, are the genetics developed yet enough for like this extremely wet weather that we had at the beginning of the year? Yeah. I think that this will be really the year we tell just how much our, our genetics have advanced since 93 and 95 when we had some really wet years back yeah. then. Yeah. Another thing too, I think folks are, are, are kind of forgetting about some of the stuff. I talked to a guy in Texas the other day, uh, another dealer down there, and he was telling me that there were guys this was two weeks ago and they were just now planting corn mm. um so i mean obviously they're going to plant that for silage i mean there's, right. you can't expect that to grow but how much of the corn do we see around here that i mean driving across i-80 stuff looked pretty good mm -hmm. i mean it, it really made it made a lot of headway here in the last two weeks with the heat that we've got but now we're in a pollination and it's getting hot again and we're in that typical heat of the summer type of deal so it'll be interesting to see how that works out and how much that actually gets turned into silage because I've heard a lot of uh, guys in Iowa and Illinois that are dairy farmers and, and feedlot guys that are outreaching to guys in Texas and Nebraska and those areas to cut cut their corn into silage and buy that. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, and we've had on our podcast too Daniel Olson, who's an independent forage consultant and agronomist. Mm -hmm. And I think we talked to him a couple of weeks ago now, but it's just been interesting too seeing the development of on the livestock side of things. Those folks are starting to suffer from a forage crisis, a forage shortage. So they're really pushing and trying to establish relationships with those growers who maybe couldn't get in a traditional crop or have to turn to turning corn into silage. And it's like those folks, those livestock producers need that forage as well. So, I mean, there's definitely an outlet for it. Especially another thing too that that's kind of starting to, to change the landscape a little bit is is the number of dairies that are, that are moving right. from traditional dairy areas, right? So in our area where I'm at in eastern, northeastern Colorado, in that I-25 corridor right there, where uh, like 25 and 76 meet in a little corridor, there's a lot of dairies I've moved into that area, out of California and every other place that they can move to, cheap ground, what have you, but that's dramatically changed the amount of of alfalfa, for example, that mm -hmm. gets produced in that area, um, the amount of corn that gets grown that gets grown specifically for silage. So we're starting to see more chopper activity and, and those kind of things move into the area. So as that kind of stuff happens and you start changing the landscape, um, it's going to start changing. I think the overall competitiveness between in our area, especially the dairy market and the feedlot, the feedlot market for for that that corn. So it's going to be there could be some big positives there for our producers in that area. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. I think it's going to be a couple of years out in the making, right. but you know, we always look ahead as yep. as rural America. So yeah, yeah. So there's some good stuff happening there. What are some of the uh, highlights you see right now? And, and you, as as you've talked to the legislative end of the business stuff and, and just the other producers and technology people in the business that you talk to on a regular basis. What are some of the positives you see coming down the line? Well, I think one thing a lot of people across the country that I've talked to are excited about is the production of hemp. Yeah. That's been a really hot one. I think every state, except for maybe one or two, have legalized hemp production at least on some level, whether it's research or full-scale production by 2020. Mm -hmm. So I think... 
it's not going to be a silver bullet for agriculture, but I think it's just another tool in the toolbox. It's another way to diversify your operation. We're really just sitting right now on a legislative standpoint of how do we govern this? How do we make sure that it is actually hemp and not marijuana that right. people are growing? And how do you control the retail side of it with the CBD oil? Mm-hmm. So I think that's going to be an interesting one up and coming. Um, I've, I mean, I've had growers all across the U.S., Iowa, Nebraska, Texas, like all of them are eager to see what this brings for agriculture. It's, yeah. it's going to be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one thing too. So with my proximity to Colorado, I mean, they've, they're all the way in. I mean, you're, they're growing marijuana, they're growing hemp. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, a water division that we have. They have a, they're working on a big project where they are, they're putting subsurface drip in and, um, there's not there's a company in Netherlands that makes I can't remember what it's called I shouldn't have brought it up because I can't remember what it is but <laughs> but but essentially it's a uh, it's a chopper head a rotary head and uh, hooks to the combine and it, there's a platform head about six or eight inches ahead of that and it cuts off the flowers at the top of the of the plant and it runs it through the combine it does you know, it seeds out what have you and then the chopper head chops everything windrows basically the the, the hemp at the, uh, on the ground, so it's a it's a dual process machine. Now we've had some, no one's reached out and said, "Hey, we want to get one of these, or how do we get this, or what do we do to make that work?" But it's a uh, this particular company spending several million dollars to, on this just one quarter of ground to make this thing happen because they're they're using um, subsurface drip and they're putting down mm-hmm. you know weed barrier plastic and they're planting into the live plants into this plastic to keep the weeds down and all the different things but go into that so it'll be uh, interesting to see how that plays out because like you said we don't know what that is the USDA hasn't really said what they're going to do with, with CBD oil what yeah. that looks like um, but the fiber part of the hemp is so, there's so many things you can do with it. It'd be interesting to see how that, that plays out for everybody. Yeah, the I was told, I can't remember who told me this. I think it was a market analyst that was on Market to Market with me, said that you can use hemp as a substitute for other products like cotton, mm-hmm. in particular to make some of those industrial, like rope or clothing, I think yeah. you can use for hemp too. So I don't know if it'll ever be as big as the cotton industry, but it's definitely going to start competing with cotton yeah. if we do see a lot of growers planted in 2020 yeah it's it's a make, make paper out of it mm-hmm. so but the other part of it too is infrastructure right right so you know growing up in kansas where i grew up at in the southern part cotton was a big deal and it's kind of come back a little bit with the price of wheat the way it's been but there were a lot of cotton gins that that were in strategic areas to get stuff delivered to and and once cotton kind of went away side those those gins kind of went away so same thing with that. I don't know where you take. Yeah, I'm kicking fiber. myself. We just were talking about this either on the podcast or in conversation with somebody. There's a hemp processing facility being developed right now. It sounds like it's a pretty big one too, somewhere in the Midwest. And I can't remember if it was it was either Iowa, Nebraska, the Dakotas, mm-hmm. somewhere right in there. But I mean, that's the heart of corn, the Corn Belt too. Right. So there yeah. are definitely people that are looking at the next step for that yeah you know hemp it'll be interesting to watch hemp i'm, I'm afraid that too many people are going to jump into it mm-hmm. too quick and it's going to be kind of a, a gold rush mentality and right. there's going to be a giant giant boom and then a huge bust and that's usually how those things work out and then they kind of level themselves off but it, it'll be interesting to see how that works and, and what that does and, and like like you said it's just one more thing to put in uh into uh 
the production to give you a little more diversity on the farm. So mm-hmm. it's, things are headed headed in a good in a good way there. Yeah. Okay, so you you have a, a technology Tuesdays on your yes. on on there, and I, there was some stuff I caught in there the other day. And irrigation is a big thing. There was one year, the guy was kind of giving a history of irrigation and what it was like and those kind of things and how far irrigation has come. Talk about that a little bit and, and what that segment of your show is about. So every Tuesday on our podcast, we interview really just, I mean, it doesn't have to be like what you, when, you, when I think of technology, you know, I'm thinking like something tangible, like mm-hmm. a new product or a new piece of equipment, but it, that's not necessarily the case. We just wanted it to be a way to highlight things that growers can use to basically change the way they're already doing things. So sometimes we talk about seed traits, sometimes we're talking about a piece of equipment, irrigation systems, just a way so that growers know that there are other options out there. And I think as more young people are heading back to the farm, and I don't mean like 18 years old that aren't making the decisions, I mean the 25 to 35 to 40 year olds that maybe were farming with their dad or their grandpa for a long time, they're going back to the farm, they're looking at how those generations did things and they're thinking, okay, what can we change to make sure that we're doing things sustainably for the next generation. So that was really the idea behind kind of our Tech Tuesday mm-hmm. segment. But it's just been really interesting to talk to all these tech companies. We just talked to one today that's using, or, or for this week, that's using the Internet of Things to develop a livestock collar. So it's basically like a dog collar, but it's mm-hmm. got a tracking device in it so that you can essentially let your herd of cattle or goats or sheep or chickens or whatever range and it'll track their vitals make sure that they're not outside of where they should be parameter wise but it's just really fascinating to see like as labor especially becomes such a major issue for agriculture being able to use technology to kind of brace for that loss of having people to do the jobs that they once did and that's that is a huge driving factor i i made the comparison the other day that that agriculture is is really in my opinion the next silicon valley if Mm -hmm. you really want to think about it yeah absolutely so and and this whole thing that's driving that is 100 percent the labor issue right so we have uh we have a smart ag, for example. They make a driverless uh, grain cart tractor. Now, there's still some some things they need to, to work on, you know, kind of overcome, and that's you know, someone still has to dump uh, into the, uh, the grain trailer. But for all intents and purposes, this tractor is just running around in the field by mm-hmm. itself, and you know, the combine operator calls it to it, and it comes and gets it. Now, it's, it's yeah, you have the guy driving the truck still has to get into it, but that's one less person. You know, normally you had to have a combine operator, and you'll have to have a, a couple of green car green drivers, car drivers yeah. and all that stuff. So, I mean, those kind of things are really coming a long ways. And if you start looking at sprayer technology, you know, instead of broadcast spraying everything in the field, they're doing spot spraying, mm-hmm. and that they've actually with some artificial intelligence have, have really trained these machines to recognize the various weeds in the field. To spray, so those things have come a long ways. Not only is that going to help with the labor issue, it also is going to. I read some article today was going to cut chemical use by ninety percent. Now, there's not a chemical manufacturer out there that's excited right. about this, but that being said, it does a lot for the environment. Right. And and that's going to be one of those things where water water quality issues and those kind of things that you start that people are worried about when you start looking at all the hubbub about. Monsanto and, and, and glass climate of change and, climate and, change yeah. and those kind of things. That's a good way to to do that. And 
but also makes the people more profitable. So people you're talking with, I guess what is the, in the folks that you've talked with, what's that window look like? Do you feel like it's rapidly opening up and it's gonna, there's just gonna be this like storm to the, adopt this kind of drone technology, this artificial mm -hmm. intelligence stuff, or do you still feel like there's some, you know, a generational gap there that, that some folks are struggling with. Yeah, I think I think there's a little bit of a generational gap with maybe like the really older farmers right. because you know a lot of them that was just it's I mean there's the nostalgia factor oh, of yeah. it too or the Sense fact of pride that, and all that yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so I think that that's totally understandable. I think that that's probably not going to change for some operations, but there's definitely just a lot of people that are yearning for information. And mm -hmm. to go back to your point about the Silicon Valley, like the boom in agriculture. You're seeing like major tech companies like IBM and others oh, yeah. investing money and infrastructure back into agriculture. Like, although agriculture is maybe slower to adopt technology compared to other industries, we're still one of the major industries that technology continues to pour back into. Yeah. So I think it's just really awesome and really yeah. exciting. One thing I'm excited about when I look at the technology end of it is, I've, I've, me and Aaron Finnell had this running bet that when we traded in our first autonomous tractor you know, mm -hmm. full, I know full ability to go right and i'm obviously going to win because what's um, your timeline yeah uh, this so this was the year and a half ago so five years from year and yeah. a half ago so, so like 2025 yeah roughly. i think In like time frame yeah. yeah i mean i think that there will definitely be something like that by 2025 yeah. and we're for 20 years we've had the ability to drive for driverless tractors which it's never turn the switch all the way on right but you're starting to see more and more people go into that into that avenue and with the amount of of farm labor that comes from other countries you know south africa australia mm -hmm. you know mexico all the different places you see that stuff come i, I think it's going to drive that quicker and further and and do those things and especially when you look at planter technology and as every year it seems like that planting window gets just a little bit tighter whether it's too dry or too wet or mm -hmm. whatever, you know, this year was a, a key example, example, right? Yeah. So now, one thing I always talked about when I talked about planter technology, when high-speed planters came out, whether it was precision or whomever, that eventually we're going to see smaller planters that go faster, mm -hmm. right? And and maybe it's it's going to be more than one planter in the field. Well, what happened was everything stayed the same size. They could just go faster now. So, you know, you're on Twitter like everybody else is, and and you see planter monitors out there that show 120 acres an hour, 100 acres an hour. Now, yeah. being able to keep that thing full and being able to do all that stuff is, is great. But that being said, it dra dramatically decreases the number of hours you put on your machine. And the not only are you going faster, but the stain that you get, emergence and everything else that comes along with it, is, has dramatically increased that. So, What does that do then for people like you who work for John Dealer? or case IH dealers mm -hmm. where it's like you're trying obviously what three five seven years you're trying to get people to buy new equipment what does that do for the industry from your perspective I think for me I, I like I like the idea of, of technology and the boom that we're seeing in technology right now because there's always something new right every year even though the machine might stay the same it might be the same model or whatever um, there's little things that pop up in it that make it be more efficient or there's some product improvements from the year before that have made it be a little bit better um you know, the planter thing is, is probably the biggest example. Well, sprayer technology is another thing. So we're starting to see more integrated stuff. So, for example, there's a new sprayer out that with the Maximerge, or Maximerge, um, exact apply system that you, that you can put on those. 
in 120 acres, there was a two acre overspray where normally that would have been 10 times that much, you know, on just the old, the old foam marker idea and, and everything else. So it's those kind of things that are, that are bringing um, people to the, to the next kind of level of efficiency, you know. Um, that's the only way that we're, there's no more ground in the U.S. getting right. created, right, unless you're in Hawaii, right? And it's, it takes a long time to farm that ground. But those little things like that are going to be able to get that one or two more bushels an acre. Or you might grow the exact same bushels, but you're going to be more efficient doing it. And so you're going to be more profitable that way. So, like, I've had uh, um, Ray, um, I forget his last name. I'm sorry, Ray. Bo, Ray Bohax. Bo, yes, yeah. Bohax. I can't ever pronounce his name. So <laughs> Ray Bohax on. And that's that's the whole point of his podcast on, on Idle Chatter. It's, it's that he always says, I'm never going to make you any money. I'm just going to save you money mm-hmm. and, and the stuff that you're doing. I think that's kind of where technology is headed. Don't know yeah, if- I, think you're, I think you're absolutely right. I don't think that necessarily you're going to make money, but it's really, I mean, as margins get tighter, it's mm-hmm. how much can you save so that on the back end you're pulling out more profit. Yeah, and like uh, I knew a guy once that had uh, – Yield maps for the last 20 years, and every year that had beautiful, these highly multiple color yield maps, and it was beautiful, and everything about it was great. And never once did anything with right. them, you know. What I mean, just had them, you know, he'd take them in and give them to his crop guy, and he'd be like, you know, help me, whatever. Now we're starting to see that information get put into a million different systems that show track what you did with this and when you did that and when, when you put fertilizer on, when you side dressed, when you did all these different things. And now you're getting these maps that are getting to be more consistent in color. Mm-hmm. And that's ultimately what you want, right? You want to have a pretty, you want to have a bunch of yellow and red and green patches all over the place. It's seeding prescriptions and especially with, you know, what you plant, when you, what, what areas you plant into and how you plant that at what rate and those kind of things have really come a long, 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 long way. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about what that looks like. So for me, it gives us gives us something to go out and talk to guys about. I'm, I'm curious, too, since um, Farmers Business Network has really filled into this space, they're doing, like, basically generic stuff. I'm, I'd be curious to see if at some point in the future, I don't know, I think this would be a long ways off, but maybe not, if they ever did, like, generic equipment. Mm-hmm. Because, like, so many guys and gals... Their equipment color matters, right? They're oh, green yeah. or or, or uh, yellow or red. But I would be interested to see if something like that comes into the space too, where it's just like a generic piece of equipment that works with any color. Right. I mean, that's kind of what Smart Ag is trying to do. Yeah. But yeah, I think so. I think you're seeing that now, especially with ISO technology that you're able, you know, you're really able to connect that kind of universally. But in, every manufacturer has that same, especially with planners. Um, where you're starting to see these uh, kind of, I don't know, mom and pop machine shop type approach where they get a bar and they hang some some mm-hmm. planters off the side or planter rows off the side of it, and they're really just taking parts and putting them together, and there's really no, you know, they're kind of building it from scratch, you know, and and we're starting to see those kind of pop up here and there, and and all, every manufacturer, every dealership in America. If, if that plants corn anywhere, or soybeans anywhere, is going to run into that, have that problem somewhere. So it's, it's a, uh, I think to your point, I don't know that it's probably all that far away, but it's the ability to mass produce it mm-hmm. on the equipment side. I right. think that's the, that's the hard, kind of the hard line to follow. And yeah, everybody has their color that they want, but at the end of the day, they're also looking at dollars and cents. And yeah. that's, that is, uh, 
what value are that's why we have to drive that value proposition every day mm-hmm. absolutely it's a it's a what are we what are we bringing to the table that's going to make you more profitable make you more efficient on your farm and uh allow you to do a hell of a lot more with a hell of a lot less right. and that's that's what we're seeing happen and size of machinery is starting to kind of i think they've hit an apex with the size of machinery <clears throat> quite a bit where i don't know how much bigger it could get you know they've kind of hit that point now where you're going to be doing things with with uh multiple trucks moving stuff around um a guy a friend of mine had to get a uh, a crane truck a crane trailer Oh. To move his planter because it was 90 oh, foot wow. long and folded up. Yeah. So I mean, that's, those are kind of the expenses that you start running into as you as you start looking at that. So pulling a 90 foot long trailer down the mm-hmm. road with a planter on it is not necessarily the most efficient way right. to do those kind of things. Right. So what does that look like? I think as autonomous stuff starts to kind of come into, into bigger play, and you don't have manned vehicles out there, you're probably going to have. Yeah, I, will think I mean, you'll have smaller machines and more of them working right. in the field. Even like for the general consumer population looking at driverless cars or, or oh, yeah. you know cars mm-hmm. that just you type in where you're going to go and it just takes you there yeah that's and that's kind of a weird thing to think about i, I don't it'd be hard for me to uh I mean, a good example the other day i got a i got a new iphone and my son was 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 giving me crap about it because i don't really care about what cell phone i have as long as it rings i get emails <laughs> and i can check my mm-hmm. my text messages and stuff like that right i don't really care what it does outside of that well he's like oh this phone's dad this you don't appreciate this because this is this that and the other and you can <laughs> stare at it and it comes on i was like why would you want to do all that why do you want to give someone all that information about your biometrics and everything else that come into play there to me it's scary to him mm-hmm. it's like why would you not it makes perfect sense so i think as that progression and and, and generations come in into play the idea of it just being a toy is is gone. It's mm-hmm. it's we look, Dad. We can do this, 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 and that. And Dad or Grandpa may not want to do it because they don't understand it, and they just think it's just some. The government's trying oh, to track them. Right. Some conspiracy. It's conspiracy out there. Amazon and 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 everybody else is is getting all your stuff. I mean, they absolutely are, <clears throat> and that's why, like, when you see websites that say this website has cookies, will you mm-hmm. accept? Or when they send you like the disclaimer and you don't read through it and you just check marks that box. But I kind of like it. I'm like probably in the same camp as your son because, especially on Amazon, if I buy stuff mm-hmm. and I like it, then they auto populate and send me stuff that they know I'll be interested in. Or like Netflix, for example, they do the same thing with TV shows. They'll say, oh, this TV show is a 97% match based on other programs you've watched. I like that. But my dad is in the camp where he's like, no, I do not want the government to have my information. He's like, I don't want to be tracked. Yeah, I've been wanting to watch this show on Netflix called The The Great Hack. It just -mm. just came out. I haven't had a chance to watch it, but it's about that. I mean, basically, it's a... A documentary about the last ten years and the amount of information that that people track and oh yeah and they were talking about uh, Kimber who what company they referenced there but they claim to have five thousand reference data reference points on every American and it's, it's a little freaky that's kind of it's strange. a little freaky it's a lot yeah. you know five thousand data yeah. points that's a lot but per 350 million right. people. I mean, that's a lot of data. The only thing that I get weirded out by is sometimes on like Facebook and Instagram, they have sponsored ca- mm-hmm. content or ads. I, this is me being a little bit con- conspiracy, whatever, but sometimes I'll be talking about something with a friend and then I'll see an ad pop up for that thing. So it's like, mm-hmm. are they listening to my conversations too? Because 
I get that vibe sometimes. Yeah. Well, it's it's, it's a it's the same things happen to me on multiple occasions that I'll be talking with somebody about something and then just out of nowhere that what a coincidence like, that wow, ad popped up. That is so <laughs> strange. That pop. So yeah, it's you hear all the time. You know, your phone's listening to you or whatever. Yeah. You know, your camera on your computer is watching you. Siri's listening to you. Mm -hmm. All those fun things. So there probably is something to that. Mm -hmm. So I guess if we talk about if you see some ad about planners pop up. That's true. You know, I'll know. You'll know that it's real. <laughs> it's for real. Okay. All right, Delaney. Well, we've been going here for a little bit. If uh, talk about what you got going on and all the Ooh. all the fun stuff that you have piled up here because you get quite a laundry list of stuff going uh, on. Yeah, I do. So, of course, Ag News Daily is my baby, my flagship, along with Mike Pearson. We've been co-hosting that since March of 2017. It's a daily ag podcast. We are covering the gamut on agricultural news, and then we like to bring on guests for the second half of the podcast to talk about what's going on in the ag industry from their perspective. So you can find that on pretty much any podcast platform. Google Play is my, or excuse me, Apple Play is my favorite, or iTunes, mm -hmm. or Google Play. Those are the two most popular ones, I'd say. Um, but then UKC, as well as a lot of other podcasts, are part of our global ag network, which is going pretty well. Mm -hmm. Still, uh, still in the making, but we've got a lot of great ag podcasts there as well. So you can always check out those globalagnetwork.com. Yep, yeah, that's a, there's a pretty good group of folks on there, and I know like Brent Carlson and I, mm -hmm. and uh, we've we've kind of got to be a little bit of buddies over this deal. Yeah. So we're we're on each other's podcasts about every month or so. It feels yeah, like so. I it's, love it. That's a good time. Mm -hmm. No, I appreciate you putting that together, and I think there's a. There's some legs there, so I'm looking forward to see what the future brings. I am, too. Right I am, too. All right, Delaney. Well, Delaney, I appreciate you making time as I'm passing through the stay here, and uh, we'll hope to talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Casey. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast, now part of the Global Ag Network. If you'd like to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel and watch Market Roundup with Chip Nellinger, Sean Hackett, and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax Moves with Glenn Birnbaum. Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and globalagnetwork.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out. Moving iron in the 21st century.